This episode of the Throwback Podcast is brought to you by Pettit, Mattis, Bruno the sponsor, and every single Patreoni at patreon.com slash throwbackpod. Hi, you guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined, as I always am, by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dan. I still get pumped up every time I hear that. What's up? No, not you. Like the, uh, the Drew. Jackie Daytona? Yes. Check it out. iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where you get your music, the great. Jack Doyle, my good friend from Texas, his group Jackie Daytona. With the, that is the uh, that is a song off their debut album. Bob, it's great to be back in the garage. Here. It is. It's Nirvana night, second Nirvana night. But really, this is the one. This is the big cheese, Bob. This is, and you know what? If anybody's earned a second night, it's Nirvana. Nirvana, one of the biggest bands. Doug Llewellyn with the Nirvana rap right <laughs> off the top. Right off the top. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to do Nevermind. You can't be a throwback podcast and not talk about Nevermind. Exactly. And I think I'd like to say we timed it up this way on purpose, but not at all. Not at all. Although it did inform and really drive it home that it was time to do it. This is the 25 this week, or was it maybe last week, was the 25-year anniversary of the death of Kurt Cobain, who, Bob, you may not know this, Mm -hmm. committed suicide. Well, that's your opinion. And yeah. It happened 25 years ago. 25. And we have, we've talked about it. Uh, we've been very open about it. And I would almost pat ourselves on the back a little bit that um, when we found out that Kurt had killed himself in the garage of his home that he shared with Courtney, who you believe to be the murderer. Didn't say that, but you know what? Put it on the board. Um, Bob and I were on a school bus traveling to a baseball practice and... Uh, we we were not devastated by it, put it that way. No, it didn't hit us right away. Maybe it's because we were young and and uh, hadn't experienced a lot of death. Maybe we were just assholes. But our instinct was, rather than mourn, turn to the person we knew to be the biggest Nirvana fan in our grade and mock him. Right. I would say it's probably our lowest moment as friends together. We've done some bad stuff. Yeah, but that might be the lowest. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting for me because um, the first band that I ever kind of fell for was Counting Crows. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I came to like music and listening to music compulsively a little bit later than you by a couple of years. Uh, And Counting Crows is the first band and the first album that I listened to obsessively. Um, but the death of Kurt Cobain is what then led to me kind of discovering Nirvana. And then I was probably one of the only people in America who for there was a, a period there where I only liked two bands and it was Counting Crows and Nirvana. Yeah, you were the biggest dual Crows Nirvana <laughs> fan I knew, which is why we're friends. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I kind of fell in love uh, with this album, Nevermind. It was in my dad's CD collection. And I hijacked it from him. Cool dad, uh, cool I mean, dad alert. You know what though? My dad is great. I love Keith, but I don't think Keith was spinning this thing repeatedly. He, his brother, I, I think 
used to occasionally get him different grunge CDs because all of a sudden I would be, you know, looking at his collection and be like 400 Rolling Stones CDs, mm. the Doors Greatest Hits, and then Candlebox far behind. <laughs> like, how did that get there? Well, I mean, every dad in 1992 owned Candleboxes far behind. You had to. Right. So Keith had a few different grunge albums. Uh, 10 was another one that he owned mm-hmm. uh, by Pearl Jam, of course, but Nevermind was the other one. So I stole that and I listened to this CD so much. I would put it probably in the top three to five CDs I've listened to most of my life. I know every song by heart. And then right as I was kind of falling in love with Nevermind, the Unplugged album gets released in mm-hmm. November or December of 94. And I bought the tape, Bob, the cassette, and we've done that album on the throwback. You could check it out. And that tape and that album I listened to compulsively as well. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, for a Counting Crows Nirvana fan, the Unplugged album was even more geared into your 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 sweet spot. If only that Kurt would have brought up Durrits instead of the Meat Puppets. <laughs> that because, would have been. It, that would have honestly, the entire world as we know it would have ended up differently if that right, happened. Because they did some folky songs. What if I? Nirvana did Omaha. That would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have no, it would have changed everything. They would have killed it. So here we are. It's Nirvana night, and we wouldn't be in Iraq right now if that happened. No, I, are we still in Iraq? Uh, I assume so. You know, it's not Saddam. Got him. <laughs> nice. Mission accomplished. Nice. Uh, it is a windy night here in uh, Los Angeles. The wind is howling, and sometimes it's hitting the garage door, and sometimes it sounds like we're in the bowels of. A, a like a tanker on the ocean that's sinking. Mm-hmm. Just everyone, we want you to know we are not on a ship that is a doom, not a doom vessel, but a garage that will burn. Yeah, at some so point ultimately, by my hand. still doomed. But I'm glad you cleared that up for everybody. Um, let's get into this album. Let's go back in time to when Nevermind came out. Dan, do you know when Nevermind was released? Ah, oh, Bob. You fucking dick. Um, I felt harsh. No, it didn't feel necessary. I apologize for that. Um, as a historian of 1990s alternative rock, I, I obviously it was 1991. And I want to say... Don't fuck this up. This is so big. This is so fucking big. We're all counting on you to get this right. Oh, my God. I'm going to get it wrong, too. It's not coming to me. November. It's wrong. September. 1991. You got the season right, but ultimately you failed us. Ah, brutal. So get this. Do you want to know what happened in November? Sorry, now you got me all screwed up. (laughs) Why did you say that? I don't know. Do you want to know what happened in September 1991? I could tell you it was 10 years away from something very notable that happened. Uh, That didn't come up on Wikipedia. Uh, It's our first 9-11 call forward of the show. Uh, the first Biosphere 2 mission began in September. With Pauly Shore, Stephen Baldwin? <laughs> no, this is what inspired the Pauly Shore, Stephen Baldwin movie. So thank God this happened. I don't know what the science actually was, but it inspired the movie Biosphere. So we're good. That's a Biodome. Big, Biodome, yes. Uh, so that, oh, I didn't know. It was based on a real story. True well, it was story. based on a real thing that existed in Arizona. Yeah. Squeeze in that chip. Oh, spotty. I don't know if like a stonery dude and his buddy ever got locked up in it. So I don't know if it's based on a true story. I don't know if that counts. Who's the bad guy in uh, Biodome? Pop I don't Quiz. know. I was a big Pauly Shore guy, like probably one of the biggest Pauly Shore guys. But uh, I was way more son-in-law and Sino man. Biodome was a big step down for me. So I, I, I can't really tell you. 
I did love uh, Son-in-Law and Encino Man. I actually, just funny you bring that up. We just mentioned before the show that uh, I went to a, a birthday party with my son and my wife and my other son. And we were in, in Encino. And there was, um, just to pass the time, I said, oh, Jack, see that? It's Caveman. He said, Caveman, what? And then I told him the entire plot of Encino Man. Um, took, it was good. Knocked out like 10, 12 minutes. It's great. That's all life is now is just right. figuring out things that you can talk to your kids about to just kill time. So I essentially told him that Encino Man was a true story. Oh, and then, you lied. Uh, totally. And he was <laughs> hanging on every single word to the point where the, ne- the next night at dinner, the, all he wanted to do was for me to tell the story again, which I did again. But it was getting a little old now. I didn't want to keep telling the story, so I haven't brought it up since. But if I remind him of it, I will... Tell him the Encino Man story once more. And really is a credit to the screenwriters of Encino Man, wherever they may be. I assume there were screenwriters. You should uh, just keep on knocking out stories from the early 90s as if they're real stories that you're making up. Like, do a higher learning discussion one day. Maybe like I'll say that until he's a teenager to teach him race relations. The cutting edge yeah. or uh, cool runnings. There are a lot of <laughs> options. Uh, Doug can read. Some big time TV shows premiered. That was a cutting edge line. Not a lot of people. Are <laughs> Not pick a lot that of. Topic was the only one I knew. Uh, the Jerry Springer show debuted. You were a disgusting pervert who had like Jerry Springer's uncensored VHS tape. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I maybe you, it was in our house, but I, I how would I even have? Such I think a you thing? acquired it somehow, and then you gave it to me. Oh, uh, you know who it was? It was probably the guy I worked with, at Walgreens with who. Also um, procured for me, as we've talked about on the show, uh, the Pam Anderson sex tape. It might have been the same tape. He also got me the Linda. What was the girl? What was the girl from um, Men in Black? The the brunette Linda. I have no idea. Fiorentino. Oh, he was this big fan of her, and he he wanted me to be, think about this in retrospect. How weird this was. <laughs> uh, so he got me he, he got me a copy of the Pam Anderson sex tape, which I watched many times, and then gave to you. Right, I believe it was passed. Yeah, amongst it was our passed, friends, passed around. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, that was great tape, man. Great tape. Which is essentially me as a sixteen year old telling this thirty four year old assistant manager at Walgreens, "Hey, man, really enjoyed the jerking off." So let's so let's, re- let's recap where we're at so far. You're 16. He's 34. <laughs> right. Okay. And then he's like, well, well, if you like that, I have somebody you really like, Linda Fiorentino, uh, <laughs> who was hot right at that yeah, moment. Yeah, she was. Because Men in Black was huge. But she had like a, a history, I would say, is a way to call it, in Skinamax type films in the mm-hmm. early 90s. And this manager, assistant manager, <laughs> assistant to the manager, um, had culled together a best of VHS of Linda Fiorentino's um, sex scenes, and he let me borrow that tape as well. So where's that guy now, Dan? Where's He's that? in prison. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I don't know where he is. I don't want to say his name either. Because, you know, you absolutely yeah, should not should say not. his name. But anyway, go on. Uh, another big show, uh, and by big I mean big to us Wait, nobody else. Wait, you didn't else. ask me what I thought of the Linda Fiorentino oh, tape. I'm sorry, I was... What did you think of it? It was fine. I mean, I thought I knew that was going to be the answer. Yeah, How great she could it wasn't be? Totally my type, but I appreciated that. Uh, what my assistant manager uh, gave me the opportunity to look at. Anytime a man twice your age gives you porn when you're a kid, you just have to be appreciative and don't tell the cops. Pay it forward. <laughs> oh no! Don't pay it forward. <laughs> That's the last thing you. Well, should the be internet doing. kind of like got rid of the the idea of yes, those things. It but did. I would have done it in a second to honor that man. You know what else came out that month? What? (laughs) 
Is that the best song we've ever talked about on the podcast? The guys, the <laughs> the singers of Rockapella, those guys, those guys fucked. Oh, absolutely, each other, like yeah. during the show and backstage. No, I think they just cleaned up with all the contestants. Well, with all the young <laughs> contestants, there's a lot of age discrepancies <laughs> happening thus far. We talk. I don't like to talk about that show because I got robbed of um, a bus ride to Manhattan for a taping of yep. Carmen Sandiego. I was there. It was a lot of fun. You really missed out. Um, but before you tell, uh, before we play the number one song in America, I want to talk about the albums that came out on the same day as Nevermind. This is something I never knew before okay. until I looked it up today. So Nevermind, of course, like the pinnacle of grunge music. The other the albums, flashpoint, that, if you will. The other albums that came out that day: Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger, mm. Trompe Le Monde by the Pixies, mm. their fourth album. The Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest, mm. a huge hip-hop album, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The same day. All came out the same day. One week earlier, Pretty on the Inside by Hole and Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out. Wow. How insane is that? That is wild. I think, wow, that is incredible. And, right? And they, yeah, I fucking did it. And I believe did that. Yeah. Good job. Good job, Bob. Yeah. I Nailed be- it. I believe the number one album when this album came out was Dangerous by Michael Jackson. May I just say, I'm glad we were able to hit that MJ album before the Ooh. Finding Neverland doc because. Ooh. Which, uh, what's the name of it? Finding Nether- I Neverland. I never, never heard of it. I'm playing, d- I'm playing dumb. Oh, you're doing that thing. Skipping it. Never, haven't seen it. Not going to. Not talking about Where it. Where does your? That's interesting. You bring that up because your wife Heather, who haven't hates told. the show, <laughs> she is one of the bigger Michael Jackson fans I know. Yep. She's also a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a she has solid moral fiber. Oh, I yeah. find, uh, in my experience with her, very moral person. Where does she come down on this? We're not talking about it. It's completely this. The documentary does not exist in our house. It never happened. But isn't that in its way, in, in its own way, just you letting Michael Jackson off in the, in your own home? Uh, I never got him off, off the hook. I never got. Oh, um, <laughs> no. I think that for my wife, I think she, my wife, she genuinely doesn't know about it because she's not really plugged into pop culture. No way. I Everyone think so. Knows about I that. think so. She hasn't said anything. She doesn't to me. know about the HBO documentary that was basically a major talking point in this country for two weeks. She has not said a word to me about it, though. She did come home the other night after going out with her friends and she sat down and she goes, who's Nipsey Hussle? So I know that stuff <laughs> does get in there, but I think somehow this one, she either willingly missed it or it's gone. But I am actively ignoring it. She probably like drove by the Marathon clothing store <laughs> in South Los Angeles I was and got caught pr- in traffic. I was very proud of her for even knowing the words Nipsey Hustle. Very proud. That's good. Uh, well, that that's one way to avoid it. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad we did. Again, I'm glad we were able to do a Michael Jackson show, a podcast episode before it happened because that we're in the clear on that. Yeah. And again, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Bob? No. What's the number one song in America when Nevermind by Nirvana came out? Get ready. I'm ready. Nevermind. 
They're even, yeah, they're even worse when you look at them. Oh my god. Who, all right, who would, all right, if you had to tally who fucks more? Oh, you have to say who this is because most people don't know this. (laughs) This is Color Me Bad off their album CMB. The B side uh, to this song was I Wanna Sex You Up. This is I Adore Mia Moore. Wow. <laughs> um, all right, who fucks more? Peak color me bad or peak uh, all for one? <laughs> all fours or ones? You yeah, mean? all fours or ones. Oh. All four point ones. <laughs> um, God, that's a good question. I think peak color me bad. They, they had, uh, you know why? Because they had I want to sex you up. They were like a sexy boy band. Well, they they kind of portrayed themselves that way, but. Was it? This is a long time ago, and I was not really plugged in. You own this album because you're a horrible own, person. I didn't own this album, but when I got my first ever <laughs> CD player, which was the Sega CD, that was my first CD player. Wow! Uh, I went to the store and I bought two CDs. I bought Arrested Development and Color Me Bad's Greatest Hits. <laughs> <laughs> greatest Hits. <laughs> what an abomination! Yeah. How is that possible? They had a greatest hits in 1993. That's amazing. Good for them. Yeah. I wonder how many albums it sold. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to say about this group other than they were some of the weirdest looking guys I've ever seen. Yeah, I can't really fully remember what they look like, but I feel like they all kind of look like snow meets <laughs> meets uh, God, like like a cliche boy band. God, no, I'm thinking of somebody, but I don't know who it is. All right. Well, but while you wait for that to come to, yeah. I can describe. So one guy looks like a young Michael Bolton. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. He's like Michael Bolton crossed with Howie Mandel. Yeah, like a little Kenny G in there. <laughs> a little Kenny G. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Kenny G crossed uh, with Howie Mandel. <laughs> and then there's a, a little guy uh, with um, a lot of hair and a, an embarrassing mustache soul patch combo. Then there's the guy that looks like Snow. Yes. There's definitely a Snow guy. And then there's the black guy. Who's just there. I forgot there was a black guy. There's a black dude with dreads, and he seems like the most normal looking of, of the four guys. And I guess he, he lent the street cred that they wanted. <laughs> that's my angle on that. Good angle. Um, so there, that's, that is I Adore Mia Moore. Yeah. I mean, I don't really remember that song. It wasn't nearly as big as I Want to Sex You Up. Uh, it spent 20 weeks overall on the top 100. Well, that that's is. that is the perfect song to be number one when Nevermind came out <laughs> to talk about like how, you know, everybody throws that out there where it's like and then suddenly grunge and everything shifted. It's perfect that that was number one. Right. And it is it's going to be one of my favorite transitions in the history of the show that that song goes directly into this one.
feels almost disrespectful, Bob, to lower it. I know. I and mean, start especially, talking. Especially since we know it's about to get even better. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let's bring it back. Come on. Bring it back. I like that we just played so much of it like nobody knows the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it still sounds great. It does. It smells like Teen Spirit. It is the opening track and the lead single off Nevermind. Actually, the second Nirvana album, Bleach, of course. That Nobody knew about Bleach. Right. In fact, that's the first thing um, that Kurt Cobain says in the Unplugged album. The first words he utters is, this is a song off our first record. You probably don't own it. Yeah. Um, and he d- goes into About a Girl. Uh, but this, of course, was the album and the song that sent Nirvana into the stratosphere and changed everything. And to me, it's still, I mean, it still works. Like you said, it's crazy to me that this was 1991. Because I think for for me, like I, we were 11 years old in 1991. This wasn't, I don't remember this being on my radar until... 93 maybe 90 like late 92 like i don't know how big it was right off the bat yeah i mean we were still pretty young we were young we were 11 when this came out so you we weren't necessarily plugged into you we weren't really a part of generation x and this is cited as like the anthem uh but it was around us i remember weird al did it well obviously smells like what uh smells like nirvana Ooh, al what? That's the best you can come up with? The video was incredible. I mean, come on. I mean, I think that's what really broke the song in a lot of ways. Like, I think it was just kind of languishing until Weird Al made it bigger. From Kurt Cobain, I was trying to write the ultimate pop song. I was basically trying to rip off the Pixies. I hate, I have to admit it. When I heard the Pixies for the first time, I connected with that band so heavily that I should have been in that band, or at least a Pixies cover band. We used their sense of dynamics being soft and quiet and loud and hard. Which reminds me of, as a big Bruce Springsteen fan, when he wrote and recorded Born to Run, his whole thing was, I want to make the ultimate rock song. And he was just a young guy that was trying to break through and do something special and crazy. And that's why it took him so long to put it together and Mm -hmm. it all worked out. It's interesting when you see something similar, different generation, different genre, but Cobain had the same type of ambition and uh, goal in mind. Do you listen to the Conan O'Brien podcast at all? I haven't really, and I should, because yeah, I love Conan. highly recommend it. It's the second best podcast after this one. It is so interesting when he has people like Stephen Colbert on, or Ray Romano, who both applied to be a writer on Conan's late night show at NBC. Mm-hmm. And both those guys, who went on to have amazing careers on their own, when they're talking to Conan about like, yeah, you read my packet and you didn't hire me. Conan's like, <laughs> and Conan's like, yeah, but I did you the biggest favor in the world. Like, you would have just got stuck on my show. Instead, you went on and created your own thing. It's interesting to hear Kurt Cobain talk about, like, I should have been in the Pixies or, like, I could have done a Pixies cover band. And it's like, in a different reality, that's what happens. Like, he becomes a kid who's so focused on being in a band like the Pixies or being in the Pixies, right? he never goes off to make his own band. So it's interesting to me 
to that quote. I like that. Um, yeah. And although it is hard to imagine like a, I guess what would Kurt have been in his early fifties, uh, if he would have been in like just a fat dude in Seattle and doing a Pixies tribute band, <laughs> like just bald, looks Court, like Frank Black. Right. Courtney Love would have left him by now. I think. Oh, that, you know what that is? Like if, if he would have survived, I think there's no way they're not divorced by 1996. Right. I mean, that makes sense. I don't think you're, I don't think you're going too far out on the limb there. I know. And then, well, the mean part is then, uh, and then he would have been okay. He would have survived because a lot of people, pin it on her, which, you know, which she didn't help. I mean, let's say that she didn't help. It's kind of like the breaking bad relationship between Jesse and uh, Kristen Ritter. <laughs> yes, it has a similar <laughs> dynamic, a similar dynamic to it. I'm trying to remember if you ever had, Bob, a destructive relationship. Um, I had one crazy girlfriend, but I, I don't know if it was destructive. I don't think she brought you down. Well, we weren't like doing heroin together in the bathroom. But we both, I know who you're talking about, though. Of course. But she just more probably made you miserable. You're talking about my wife, Heather. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> All right, we got another banger. Bring in Doug Llewellyn. It's Nirvana. jumps out to me right away listening to this album again how great the music sounds today yes there is absolutely nothing dated about it 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 could have in, in an amazing world um an album like this could come out today and it would be like whoa this would that would be seen as something that sounds like grunge music right which is, now it's kind of hard to write because then it's like well then was nirvana that move away from that but the it just sounds so fresh and it sounds so raw and not like anything else that was popular around this time let me let me do something real quick Bob on that point oh okay you just stopped the song we'll come back to Bloom. really enjoying but I want a reminder and I'm not you know I'm not breaking any news here but because this is one of those stories that's been told many 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 times about the impact of this album, but that it blew away hair metal and ended that era forever. Yes. And that's probably true. I think hair metal was kind of coming to an end, probably either way at some point, something was going to wipe it away. It would have been here forever. It's (laughs) like the dinosaurs were without that meteor. So you heard smells like teen spirit. And we heard the beginning of in bloom. This was an, this was a, a hit single the year before. Oh yeah, I love this song. (laughs) 
Bob, you're unironically enjoying this one. I really am. <laughs> Whatever, whatever point you were trying to make is completely gone, <laughs> completely lost. It's negated by the greatness of Unskinny Bob. The fact that Bob. this is so good. By Poison. <laughs> Poison's greatest contribution to pop culture is still there behind the music. That is true. What's been going on? Shame on you, though. Oh, no. Now I want to be poisoned. <laughs> um, so that is, is it's, over, it's played out and it's been done to death um, that Nirvana wiped that stuff away. But it's remarkable that this album came out and then this became the dominant sound, the most popular album of the decade. Uh, and all those other bands, mm-hmm. Poison... Motley Crue, um, Warrant, White Snake. They ceased to exist overnight. And I just watched a really bad uh, movie on Netflix, uh, The Dirt. Oh, yeah. I, Based I, off I a really like, great book. I feel like reviews are mixed on that. You're saying it's really bad? I haven't seen it yet. Tremendous book by Neil Strauss. Love the book. Detailing yes. the uh, trials and tribulations of Motley Crue during their rise to fame in the 80s and then their decline in the 90s. And it did remind me, um, the movie was a pile of shit. I, I don't right. know. Anybody that likes it, La Ravio Magnifico. Um, but um, they're in the studio in the early 90s and post-Nirvana. Uh-huh. Uh, and they have John Karabi replacing um, Vince Neil. And they're trying to make a Nirvana sound. And yeah. had no chance, and nobody bought any of the records because right. it was over. Well, it's like when Hammer went to do uh, gangster rap, you know? Hey, put put him up on the glass. Uh, that's fine. No, that was Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> oh no, what was his? Put pumps my dick the, on the pump, glass. Pumps in the bump. <laughs> put my dick on the glass. No, once, once the tide turns, it's over for you. Well, once you bring up Hammer and the Speedo, that's all I could think. I know. Right I'm now. sorry about that. And then filled out a Speedo like <laughs> no one really, ever has. Really filled out that Speedo. It was like not even a banana hammock. It was like a plantain hammock. <laughs> is plantain bigger than a banana? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Is it just the ma- you know what I'm trying? You to know say. exactly what he's saying. Um, before the song's over, though, the one thing that stands out to me, going back to the fact, like how big this was and how it still sounds good today, I think you have to credit the producer Dan oh, because shit. for us, this album could have gone wrong in a million different ways, and the fact that it still sounds clean, and I think that's what made it. A little different than a lot. I don't lot. think there's any way this album could have gone wrong, but go on. No, I think absolutely there could have been. If, like The fact that he was able to take Nirvana Sound and make it so clean and sort of relatable and digestible, because this could have been very hard to digest if it was too sludgy. And well, too, I agree with that, yes. So I think he did such a good job of cleaning it up and making a timeless record. Okay, so Butch Vig. Did you even say his name? No, I was waiting for you to. Butch Vig. Who I guess took some fire when we did the garbage podcast. I think we made fun of his appearance a little bit. All right. I mean, I, I, and I got some <laughs> tweets about, hey, respect Butch Vig. And he's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I, I'm sure. Um, and I do. I like Butch Vig. I like garbage. And I, yeah. I enjoy his work in the production. He's the producer of Nevermind. Uh, 
and I do. Here's my here's my take. I think it's interesting. To your point, that Cobain, when they made their follow up album in utero, and he made the decision to kind of turn off as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain was disgusted with the idea that um, he grew up as an outcast, somebody that was picked on and overlooked. And one of the things that fucked him up was that when he became the lead singer of the biggest rock band in the world, all the jocks and assholes mm-hmm. that tortured him when he was young were now a, you know, a new generation of those assholes loved his albums and were in his at his concerts like he he never got over that and i think he i haven't i feel like i have read his suicide note but i haven't done it in a while yeah i think he references something along those lines as well as you know one of the reasons why he was unhappy but when he made in utero when they made in utero he purposely tried to be as uncommercial as possible. And one of the things he did was eliminate Butch Vig. Mm-hmm. And it was Steve Albini, I believe his name is. Sounds from, right. From the Pixies, right? That um, right. Uh, produced that record, which was much different. And we maybe we'll do In Utero at some point. Not as big a fan as I am as Nirvana. I still don't listen to that album a lot. And one thing I love about Nevermind is how melodic it is. And it's like... I, he loved the Beatles, Kurt Cobain, and like there's a lot of great melody to it, and I love that. So, Butch Big, champion. Butch Big, FTW, bro. Nice. For the win. Nice. Nailed it. All right, next up, come as you are. I hope Butch isn't mad at us. He might be. Um, not to um, not to harp on our lowest moment, but yeah, this was absolutely the song we sang to our friend Mark. In the bus when we found out what had happened. We already, we we hit this, Bob. I don't think we need to dwell on it anymore. It was a bad. Still feel bad. Still feel bad. It was stupid. We were young. We didn't know any better. Could have been better people, but we weren't. Did we have to do the hand motions? Probably not. That probably made things worse. The laughter? Not necessary. Not necessary. All right, let's listen to the chorus and um, continue to hate on ourselves. (laughs) All right, so this is Come As You Are, and as we mentioned, the Unplugged album, which was a fantastic success, uh, at least in sales and all that, uh, and it was the last official Nirvana release. Uh, release. Um, it is the one of only four songs on the Unplugged from mm-hmm. this album, which was one of, for Kurt Cobain, who's from the punk rock uh, that's what he kind of came from, and that was what he cited as his main influence. It was a very punk rock move to mostly ignore the big hits on Nevermind. Mm-hmm. I, and I will say, out of all of the big hits from Nevermind, this one's probably my least favorite. And I think we 
talked over in Bloom a lot, uh, talking about Motley Crue and stuff. Didn't give it its due. In Bloom, I think, is probably my favorite. But for some really? reason, this song never really, as far as the singles go, this song never really connected with me as much as the others. And as far as the world post his suicide and radio stations playing Nirvana, I think this was the probably the number two most played song after Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, this one was a huge hit, Come As You Are. And I think uh, I still remember because I had a tape of all their videos and watching the video repeatedly. Yeah. Um, and watching it with my brother Kevin, and it shows it shows Nirvana performing live and Cobain like swinging from something into the crowd, and a dog barking while wearing a cone, one of those cones on its head. Those were big back in 1991, like early 90s. People loved like dogs and cones barking. How come? What, what was a good was bit of that? <laughs> it was a big bit at the was time. Was it gritty on some level? I think it I was guess. gritty. It's like how pit bulls and hip hop a few years later. Um, what what's it like, Bob, to be Chad Channing. Oh, the Pete Best of grunge? <laughs> yes. I mean, well done, un- Bob. unlike Pete Best, at least nobody knows his name. I guess. Wait, is that better or worse? Uh, I mean, Chad Channing, which is a hard name to say. Sneaky That's hard. That's probably why he had to go. Um, was dumped uh, during the recording of Nevermind, Good Timing, Bro, and replaced by some guy named Dave Growl. Growl. Growly? Growl. The H. You have to hit the H. Um, Growl. Growl. Uh, and, and by the way, have, we haven't really hit on that at all yet. That not it fucking cool that Dave Grohl's the drummer of Nirvana? What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's real. I, I was watching before you got here, Bob. They have that. There's only a few documents um, from Nirvana during the Kurt Cobain era that really survived there were obviously the videos there is the unplugged performance Mm -hmm. and then there is the um concert the 1992 concert from reading what was it called live at reading it was was reading right and uh i was watching that and it's the one where uh it starts with chris nova christ nova christ Christ. rolling out kurt cobain in a um a hospital gown and a blonde wig and a wheelchair uh-huh. uh, to the stage in front of like 150,000 people. And then Dave Grohl does a bit on the microphone and then Kurt stands up and then uh, starts to sing a song and then collapses and appears to die. Um, and then they go right into, uh, I believe, this song actually, uh, which is Breathe. There wasn't a lot. There's not a lot of footage of the band. Weirdly, there's some of the MTV there's Music Award performances, MTV performances, some MTV interviews, but it's not now. I mean, people didn't have flip phones, Dan. Now, now if there was ever <laughs> flip phones, if there was ever a band, and I imagine it's going to happen again, but there hasn't been one in the last 25 years, a band of Nirvana's uh, greatness and impact landed, and you know it's a little overdue. Rock scene. No big deal. You don't even have Coachella you're, anymore. You're skipping over Robbie Williams in the late 90s? <laughs> Besides Robbie. Okay. Robbie excluded. Like, alternative rock and rock doesn't even have Coachella anymore. I, I know. Like, it's now a pop concert. We, don't, we I'm going to say we. We don't even have Woodstock anymore. It's over. It's over. 
But if there was ever someone as important and great as Kurt Cobain and Nirvana were today, there would be footage everywhere. The way Beyonce gets covered. They would have to. I mean, that's how you would do it now. But there just isn't a ton of stuff um, uh, with this band, which is weird. Uh, This is kind of a badass song. Yeah, this was great. And everything up until now has been a single or a huge radio song. This was the one when you were a kid listening. This is the first song that you had to tell your friends like, yeah, I love Breed. (laughs) Yes, Breed Breed gave you a little pop. Yeah. Because it showed that you were really... Listen, Butch Vig could be an asshole and he's just trying to like move units. But I'm more the guy who likes when Kurt won the battle. Yes. And that's what Breed is. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Love it. See, you hear that? Yeah, that was scary. That is the wind whipping against this garage. The Santa Ana winds. Oh, Bob. Tell me more about the Santa Ana winds. They come from Santa Ana. And mighty gusts, aren't mighty. they? Mighty. Oh, so mighty. I'm nice, so Phil. Happy. We did it. I feel like this song, Lithium, would have been good on Unplugged. Yeah, totally. Not to sound like an MTV producer pressuring Kurt Cobain. You totally are. But you, this one would have been good. We're at the age now where we would have been those guys right. pushing young Kurt Cobain to play play the hits, man. Like some 38-year-old piece of shit who's like, hey, I'm young enough and I wear cool clothes. Maybe I can connect with the artists. Hey, you know, Kurt, <laughs> really love Lithium. What do you think about just strapping on the guitar and maybe playing a little Lithium? Hey, we don't even have to use it, Kurt. But... um you know, it's got that great bass groove. I think uh, Chris could really shine on this one. What do you think? How about this? How about you just do it, and if we don't like it, we don't use it. But let's uh, like, let's just roll. Actually, in the oral history um, that was that came out a couple years ago about the, that release, there's an exact conversation like that. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Right down to the, hey, we don't have to use it, man, <laughs> but uh, we can do it. I think it was in reference to Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. I'm so excited. I can't wait to meet you there. I don't care. I'm so horny. That's okay. My will is good. See, I, I disagree, Bob. I believe... Smells Like Teen Spirit is the most played Nirvana song in, the, in radio history. I right. believe Lithium is number two. You think so? I mean, again, this was played all the time, but Come As You Are, I don't know. I think it's tough to, to make that call. And the other, well, I like this part. Do you think there are somebody, because let's face it, our podcast, which by the way, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash throwback pod, and we'll love you if you do it. Do you think there's anyone that listens to this show that 
we're introducing Nevermind to them? Is there one person listening right now that they're hearing many of these songs for the first time? Here's why it's possible. Because last week when we hit the 25th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, it was news. You strangely called it a celebration uh, to me earlier off mic. And I said, Bob, no, what's there I, to celebrate? No, no, And you said, well, you know, that's just the way I am as a person. Wow, so unlikable. Uh, it was newsworthy. And it was, you know, it was on, you saw it was trending on Twitter and it was news. But like two days later. Oh, that's what you said. You said it's a celebration because... Kurt Cobain's trending on Twitter. <laughs> I definitely And did not guess say what? That. That's what the game's about in 2019. I did not say that. Hey, Bob, put it in perspective. I'm trying man. to make a point here. <laughs> Two days later, like one of the, the top trending items I saw was the two year anniversary of Harry Styles' debut single. I saw that. And that looked like bigger news than Kurt Cobain's 25th anniversary. Like that's how it felt to me. So maybe we're f- so far away from it now that there is a whole generation that isn't as familiar with it. It's weird to think about it, but there might be, there might be somebody out there who's never heard breed before. Yeah, I guess breed for sure. But in ge- I would say 100% of our listeners have to know this album, right? <laughs> this album. Yes. 100% of our listeners know this album. Stop you crying, it's a sign of the times. Welcome to the final show. I feel like this is disrespectful to Kirk Cobain. Hey, you're the one that was celebrating his death. I was not. (laughs) So, sign of the times, you're saying, had more Twitter pop than the anniversary? I think so. And who has thought of this fucking song in the past two years? Apparently, idiots on Twitter. It's the best star seller song of the last five years. Exactly. I mean, what are you, hey, Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> All together, dude. All right, let's move on. Okay, so here's the second song that showed up on the Unplugged, and um, it's crazy. It's fucking crazy, right? Uh, when you know the subject matter. I think we talked about it on the Unplugged episode. Uh, that it was about a violent assault of a woman who escaped. And Kirk Cobain wrote about it. It's called Polly. Isn't me have a seed? Let me clip dirty wings. Let me take a ride. Cut yourself. Want some help? Please myself. Got some rope. Haven't told. Promise you. Haven't true. Let me take a ride, cut yourself. Wants a mouth, please myself. Perfect timing for a song like this on the album, perfectly mm-hmm. placed. That's all Butch. Love of course you, Butch. it is. And I feel like in uh, we were high school kids and college kids in the 90s. And, you know, we didn't do it. Bob and I are accomplished musicians. Uh, Obviously. Multiple instruments. We can play the beginnings of several songs. Uh, and, but the cliche move in college in the late 90s was to play Wonderwall. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you had a little edge to you and you were a little cooler, maybe you play Polly. I think I could have played Polly if I would have 
really put a little effort into it. It feels like something that I could master. It, feel, it would have been a good move. And would then since everyone knew the album, they'd be like, whoa, Polly? Polly. Like, yeah, it's a song I enjoy. Yeah, I can play Polly. <laughs> and Do you want to hear like, Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes? And Bob's like, hey, nailed it. Nailed it. And then that would kind of, you'd miss the meaning of what the song was about, but it, all, it would also be a conquest. And a conquest <laughs> is a conquest at the end of the day. So build a time machine, learn how to play Polly, go back to 1994. Uh, I also do remember reading how um, Kurt Cobain specifically, um, I don't, I keep on, I want to say Kurt, but then I don't like when people use the first name. Right. Like they're familiar with the person right. on a personal level. Yeah, he didn't know you. But didn't Cobain, know Cobain seems almost like we're talking about some guy that had 12 rebounds. And, right. You know. In the game, so I'm just gonna. It also sounds like the name a parent trying to be too hip would name their kid in 2011. <laughs> this is my son Cobain. Cobain hands us. Oh, oh God, uh, I'm gonna go Kurt though. But I, I remember being in love with Nirvana in this album and reading that Kurt purposely used a, a, a guitar that was needed to be tuned, mm-hmm. um, and he wanted it to sound a little off. And I was like. Yeah, man, that's so cool, man. <laughs> I was in love with that. Yeah, because that's a totally different era type thing. Back then, the way you would read about your favorite bands is you would go to Tower Records and you would just pick up a magazine and flip through it, hoping to get like any nugget of information you could find about your favorite bands. Right. And like, I guess why, again, why it would be such a cool thing and so different that an artist would on purpose find a tuned down uh, acoustic guitar and then make it the recording is that, again, the music that was popular at this time was this. Again. Again, you're trying to make a point, but it's not working because that's fucking great. (laughs) I think my favorite part, my favorite part of any behind the music comes in the Poison episode. Brett Michaels comes off like Brett Michaels, you would imagine. Right. CC DeVille comes off as a fucking a maniac. Mess, a Very likable. Yeah. Uh, but completely insane. Uh, my house of horrors turned into a house of horrors. Uh, that was great. But the best by far was the guy who played. There was Ricky Rocket, the drummer. Mm hmm. Um, but the best by far was the bass player who's the least famous guy, but was the most quotable. Uh, and he's talking about <laughs> Brett Michaels, uh, getting into a relationship with Pam Anderson and then having their sex tape leak because Pam used to do that in the nineties or it was done to her. And the bass player goes, Hey, I don't know what everybody's all upset about. He got to fuck the ultimate bitch. Oh, man. <laughs> Problematic. Did the 34-year-old you worked with give you that sex tape, too? Uh, that one didn't. You know what's interesting? Like, that one didn't make the rounds in the same no. way. That the Pam Didn't really do it. It didn't do the same business, for sure. Maybe because it wasn't commercial released, or maybe it was. I don't remember. He probably kept that one on the shelf. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to give this one to any teen boys. <laughs> it's not good enough. You know... This you know this guy. He also used to organize. Wait a second. He also used to organize wiffle ball games in the parking lot late at night, and we'd all play with him. And he would organize. play with him. We'd play wiffle ball. Oh, wiffle ball. Yeah, yeah. 
Are you saying that that also should be viewed with suspicion? Maybe we should look this guy up. See if he's uh, behind bars in 2019. I don't see what the big deal is. You got to fuck the ultimate bitch. Don't, don't you can't even say that. Is that why? Don't VH1 even quote him. Play that anymore. Yes, they played it on a loop for like three straight years. All right, here we go. Oh yeah, Dave Grohl on the motherfucking drums. God, this song makes me want to oh fucking God, I wanna, break things. I want to hit you in the fucking face. Before Fred Durst changed the world with break stuff. Made the world better. And made the world better and, and ruined Woodstock 99. There was Territorial Pissings by Nirvana. God, I love this song. Oh, fuck. This um, is so good. And I, when I hear this song, everything is insane on it in a great way. But uh, Dave Grohl's drums are just next level. It seems not human. And I saw Foo Fighters in um, Atlanta at the Super Bowl. They did the DirecTV show, and they did an incredible show with guests and played for two and a half hours. And it's interesting, though, because his drummer now is Taylor Hawkins, uh-huh. Hot. who's a good-looking man, um, great drummer in his own right. Uh, and he, at certain points in the show, will even sing, mm-hmm. and Dave will get behind the kit. Uh but there's no Nirvana nods. And they do all sorts of like covers and lookbacks at different artists that they love. They did a really cool Imagine Jump by Van Halen hybrid song, which was doesn't sound like it would be good, but it was great. Mm-hmm. But nothing with Nirvana. We, at this point, it's I mean, complicated, I imagine. It's complicated, but you're so far removed from it where you have a whole generation of fans that know you as the Foo Fighters guy, not the Nirvana guy. Why not? I'm sure he has a reason, but it's weird. It's almost like he might have a difficult relationship with the music because one of his best friends killed himself. Maybe, Maybe that's what it is. Wait, Chris Novosella killed himself? <laughs> well, he was the most important man. Obviously. Remember when Chris Novel- Christ Novoselic ran for office and lost? <laughs> Remember when Christ Novoselic <laughs> threw his guitar in the air and smashed down on his face? How do we not talk about that during Lithium? <laughs> that was the greatest was live the greatest moment in Nirvana history. <laughs> they were playing the 1992 MTV Music Awards, which I read a, a book. Um, what was it called? Your Favorite Band is Killing Me by Stephen Hyden. Real quick pause. I yes. feel like you're really hammering home that you read during this episode. A lot of like, I did read I? this. Did I read, I read something else in this episode? Yeah, you've been reading a lot. Wait, did I have another reading reference? You're kind of being like a little like read dropper right now. Like, like I read this. What else did I read? You've read a lot of shit this episode. So you can't even bring it up. You don't even know. I said, I don't listen when you talk. But it's, <laughs> I just hear I read and then I just tune out. I, all right. I read books occasionally. Ugh. And... Um, there's a great chapter in this book about the feud between <laughs> Axl Rose and Kurt Cobain, which uh, is comical on many levels. Of course. And it came to a head at the 1992 MTV Music Awards when Axl tried to um, get into a fist fight with Kurt Cobain, which is amazing on so many levels. Uh, because uh, Axl was just this like walking like testosterone id like asshole. 
And he's trying to start a fight with the man that was the least likely guy to ever get into a fist fight in the history of rock. Like might have been wearing a dress at the time. So that's what that was the backdrop. And then they go out and, and play lithium. And it's a great fucking performance. And then it ends in anarchy with, I think, Kurt destroyed uh, the drum kit, right? Mm -hmm. Or his guitar. It was just mm -hmm. a lot of shit going yeah, on. Mayhem. Yeah. And then Nova Selk throws his bass. Like, it was a great throw. Like, it was really high up. People only talk about that it fell and crushed his face. We and only he talk got about like 20 stitches in his the, forehead. The post-gravity part of it. But the throw up was great. It was an incredible throw. I mean, it had... It, I mean, if you asked me when I was... 15 about the throw, I would have said it was 500 feet in the air. Right. It, it really was like a Paul Bunyan-esque move. But it was probably in reality like 10 to 15 feet and, and then was clocked him square, square. in the forehead. Uh, Cut him wide open and he goes falling, stumbling off the stage. Uh, probably the for all Kurt Cobain gets all the credit for being the brains and the genius and the most recognizable person in Nirvana, but that is their greatest live moment. <laughs> really? I think it is. As great as the, the show at Reading is, as great as Unplugged is. For people that saw it, that was it. All right, Bob. Now, this is going to be a controversial statement, so I don't want you to get pissed at me like you were pissed about the book thing, although that was the first time I referenced reading mm. in this episode. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'm going to stand by that. Mm -mm. This <clears throat> is my favorite Nirvana song. One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. I'm talking what you think this is about me. It is now my duty to completely train you. I travel through to blend up in your affection. Drain you. This takes me right back to freshman year of high school, hanging out, listening to this with you, and deciding that this was the best song on the album. <laughs> like, we loved this fucking song. And goddamn, it was so different back then. Just like not knowing the words to the song and having to like figure it out and decipher it and like have conversations about what is he saying here. Right. Like, there was no, like, you couldn't Google it's it. It's like, it couldn't be vacuum up all fluids. That, right. I mean, that can't be what that it is. That can't be what it is. Like, there was no way to know for sure. So you would just talk about it for hours on end. And we would, like, talk to our friend Mark about it. Like, what do you think he's saying? And this was the song that I think that, because it wasn't a single and it wasn't big, the three of us, four of us with our buddy Kevin, too, we were all like, this is the best song. I love this part. Yeah. It's just so fucking weird <laughs> and beautiful. Let's listen to it. And then I'm going to share with you the most disastrous business idea I've ever had. Oh, wow. Directly connected to this. I haven't had many business ideas, period. No, that's not, that's not a hallmark of you. This was my Seward's icebox. Oh, man.
song, this song has it all. It's got an incredible melody to it. It's got that weird breakdown part, and the music storms back in. Everything's locked in. And yeah. Christ on bass is killing it. Killing it. Doesn't have a concussion. He's not bleeding profusely <laughs> from the head at this point. Um, no, I had this. You, you mentioned trying to decipher the lyrics. I still remember it clearly to this day. Um, I came up with the idea. Think about how bad this functionally terrible an idea this is. Okay. So in it had to be 1995. So we would have been in ninth grade. I was. It was like peak. Uh, my obsession with Nirvana and I decided I wanted to get into the business of selling uh, tapes to other high school students at Pearl River High School uh, already flawed and, <laughs> exactly and but w- you need a hook then right Bob so you can't just right. say hey I have copies of Nevermind by Nirvana right the, the music industry would bring you down but who else? Who wants that? Nobody they, wants Who's going to pay for that? And nobody wants it. Right. I just, you know. But I had, I had this idea, Bob. Here's the light bulb that went off over my head. In circa 1995. Remember, the internet hasn't really happened yet. Nope. Um, the inside sleeve of the iconic Nevermind um, album cover and mm-hmm. artwork. There were no lyrics inside the album. Right. What if, Bob, mm-hmm. you had the opportunity to buy the full Nevermind album and also, with that tape, have all the lyrics to every song on the album. How? And that could be yours for 3 to $5. <laughs> Where would these lyrics come from, Dan? I would transcribe them. Oh. I would study them. I would write them out. I would print them up on my Windows 95 computer upstairs mm-hmm. in my parents' house. I would print it out into a um, highly um, visually uh, appetizing um, collection of notes, mm-hmm. my own liner notes, if you will. I would tuck them into the cassette tape that I would burn off my CD player, uh-huh. and then I would sell it for 3 to $5. Now, I want to thank someone right now, someone I don't think has come up on the show yet, and I don't think she's a listener to the show, but I'll say her name. Her name is Siobhan. And you know who I'm talking <laughs> of about. Of course I do. Um, we called her Kramer. That's her entire name. She was Siobhan Kramer. <laughs> I mean, there you go. You just outed her in full. Uh, great girl. Um, and um, we had a love-hate relationship in high school. and But we were friendly enough that I remember calling her from my parents' house. I, I called Kramer. <laughs> I said, hey have this idea. <laughs> oh, wow. You were trying to get an investor? What were you trying to get? What were you trying to do here? I was, I, maybe I, maybe I bounced this idea off you and you don't remember it. Maybe I never did. And I wanted to keep it a little closer to the vest. You didn't want to split the profits if I was uh, into it. Maybe. Uh, but I asked uh, Kramer, I said, Hey, do you think you or anyone would be interested if I if I sold copies of Nevermind with the lyrics, because everyone wants to know what the lyrics of that album are, I would sell that. And then I'll to this day I remember like a pause, and then she just said no, <laughs> and I was like, all righty all then, right, done with that. <laughs> and that was the end of my entrepreneurial. Uh, I streak. know I know why you asked Siobhan, By the way, she had great handwriting. Maybe I, maybe that was, but I, 
I mean, Bob, it wasn't 1955. It was 1995. I think my plan was to print it out. You know, put it in the word processor, print it out, and then, you know, put it inside the tape packaging. Oh, see, so yeah, there's no reason at all. No, there was nothing. There's no artistic angle to it. I was racking my brain for another reason. There's none. Yeah. We joke about Christ Novoselic and his relative importance in the three-man group of Nirvana, but this is probably his greatest moment of this uh, album, his Lounge Act. Bass is going nuts in it. Probably. Also, the first song we've listened to tonight that I completely forgot about. Mm. When was the last time you listened to or thought about Lounge Act? I always knew it was right after Drain You. Yeah, no, I, I listened to that so much. But I just haven't even thought about it. The best part of the song is the end. It was it's one of uh, Cobain's great like screaming mm-hmm. moments. I think it's coming up. Let's listen. I mean, it just sounds so good. Sounds so good. We are so due. We are so due. I mean, Coachella. We lost Coachella. Man. It was in the LA Times. I read it in the LA Times, Bob. Oh, you read. Look at me lapping you with the reading. I just don't brag about my reading. (laughs) Coachella, Bob. (laughs) We don't have Coachella anymore, the rock community. Um, But think about it. When's the last time... We we talked that book that we read together. About we did both read Meet, Meet Me in, in the, the Bathroom. bathroom. Yes. Uh, written by Lizzie Goodman. Lizzie Goodman. Uh, that was the last big thing when the strokes hit. And that was kind of a game changer. Just as it, it probably didn't. It didn't have the same impact it as Nirvana blip, on hair metal. Blip compared to this. But it definitely helped to change public taste and, and new metal. Rock fans. It gave something to rock right. fans. It gave something right. an alternative to get behind. Um, but what this did was it turned pop music from I Adore Me Amore mm-hmm. to the Smashing Pumpkins. Right. But I guess my point is, so if you count the Strokes as another big seminal turning point in rock, and that was goddamn near 20 years ago at this point, we have to be right on the cusp of something big. Mm. Ben Queller does have a new album coming out. You don't think that's going to... I don't even know who the fuck that is, Bob. (laughs) I've been talking about it for 15 years. Oh, my God. The hits keep coming. Not even hits. Just iconic fucking rock songs off an album that never stops. Here we go. Stay away.
Now, maybe, Bob, the reason why I didn't come to you with the Nirvana idea mm-hmm. was that this was also around the time of the Numeric Pigeons. We already had a project going, and you don't want to put all your eggs in the Castrone basket. So maybe it was that. Maybe the idea that I thought you might be uncomfortable with the idea with me having kind of a side project that was not creative in the sense that we weren't singing and songwriting together, but... It was trying to move units within the school. And, no, I would have had a problem. You know. You're right. I would have had a problem with that. I would have wanted you to focus on the band we made up where we sang over other people's songs, making fun of people from our high school. So I would have been upset that you were dividing your your after school priorities into two different directions. And I just, the audience, you're welcome. We we chose not to dig into our lithium parody, Luthium, <laughs> about his poor kid Lou. Just never heard a goddamn fly. But we just massacred him in a, in a parody song. Like everything about the Numerica Pigeons, it's been a 20-year effort to just erase it all from my brain, to not ruin <laughs> music that I like, that we decided to make about people we knew. It's like our version of the poison uh, behind the music. It really is. House of Horrors. <laughs> what started out as a house of whores turned into a house of horrors. So, of course... Real Nirvana fans like me and you, Dan, we know that there are two versions of this song. Oh, yeah, Bob. Pay to play. Pay to play. Pay to play was and on was an a EP, cool, was it? Or? It was a cool thing to find. Was it on like, it wasn't on Rarities, was it? Because that was Territorial. Did you see that one? It was maybe, it was on one of those things. Or the Beavis and Butthead Do America soundtrack. It was on something. It was cool, though, to know that there was the alternative version that was yes. not on the album, for sure. All right, let's get, uh, here's another song that showed mm-hmm. up on Unplugged. I love the uh, album version though. On a plane. Stop yourself without any words. I got so high, scratch it up bled. Love myself better than you. No, it's wrong. What should I do? The finest day that I've ever had is when I learn to cry on the fan. Love myself better than you. No, it's wrong. Like, the only thing that would make uh, that Foo Fighters concert so better is if they came out for the second encore and ripped into On a Plane. Every song on this album is so interesting. Like, there's nothing that sounds the same to it. Like, they're all individually great songs. I kind of wish, you know how, speaking of the Strokes, how they, they put out Is This It, and then they put out... Uh, Room on, Room on Fire. Fire, and they got criticized for sounding too much like the first album. Right. But now, if you're a fan of that type of music or that band, you're like that's amazing that you got that one-two punch from them because mm-hmm. they never approached the heights of either of those albums. It'd be amazing if Nirvana basically stayed in this vein, in this lane for another album. Yeah. And they they know. never would, and, right. and they didn't because that's not who he was. Um, as a artist, but it would have been pretty cool if they if they followed up Nevermind with another song of just really badass melodic, great alternative rock that had a ton of hits on it and was also radio friendly, but also different from the mainstream. They de- he decided to go on a different path that took them into some obscure depths, even though there were some hits. But I, it would have been cool if they kind of. 
I mean, it's the ultimate. The strokes thing. It's the ultimate like middle aged white guy question. But like, what would their next album have sounded like? Because they did after in utero, right? Because I'm sure Kurt Cobain from Beyond hates the fact that his last offering was an MTV unplugged. Well, he did it. He agreed to it. Yeah, no, no. He, but do you think that that's for a guy like that? That for us to kind of go out and all buy that album afterwards? Like, I don't. Who knows what he was thinking? Who knows what his world was like? But like, if you're a guy who cares about, you know, kind of being completely an individual and not selling out, you have to hate that your last thing that you're kind of will forever be known for is an MTV unplugged. Um, I disagree. I would think that he'd be proud of it because it was unlike any of the other unplugs. I don't know, MTV logo on the album cover. Well, maybe the way it was packaged or whatever, but the idea that not only did he tell them, fuck you, I'm not going to play all the hits you want. Mm -hmm. He also got to bring out all his friends and and all these obscure, um, artists that he respected that otherwise would have never gotten the exposure and probably helped their careers. Um, at, on some level, I'm sure it had to help all those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for that reason and the fact that it came out so well, like it just it sounded great. It was, it was because they took some real risks with the sound and he kind of nailed it. I don't know. That was two separate thoughts that I put together. But like, what would their next album have sounded like? The fact that they moved away from this sound and did in utero. They were never given the opportunity to make a return to form record. Right. Which Do, I don't think they would have done. I don't, I don't think they would have either. I think they would have kept going. But then again, how far away from the sound do you think they could have gone? I, I don't think they would have been too far removed from this. Well, that's when it gets a little depressing, which is a, which it's good to have something in the way in the background. It's the last track. Very sad song. Um, I, You have to wonder if all that great... Great stuff that was on the Unplugged album and that sound. If maybe he would have explored that a little bit more, and there would have been some type of classic album and kind of like a Neil Young type uh, mode. And I feel like he would have been a guy that would have aged well mm-hmm. and done more quiet, introspective things. And because and he was so talented, would have been somebody that was putting out great music for decades. Maybe collaborate with Duritz. Maybe a Duritz collaboration. But I think this band, whether or not he died, um, did not have a long shelf life. Right. Because I think Dave Grohl, he turned into the next big star in in the um, alternative rock. And I think he was going to eventually leave either way. Right. He couldn't be the drummer of Nirvana forever. Clearly, he had a lot more going on. <laughs> right. And Christ, you know, Christ was going to get into politics either way, I think, too. <laughs> he was going to lose an election somewhere. He had to. It was his fate, his destiny. I just don't think they they were going to be a, some super group that was, were ever going to be together for decades. But right. You know what? We haven't even said their name this whole episode. They weren't going to be Pearl Jam. No. They were so different. They were fundamentally different. And that's, I think, the perfect example. Like, they wouldn't have done that. Which is part of why we talked about that on the 10 episode, that Kurt Cobain didn't... He liked Eddie Vedder, and I think he thought the guys in Pearl Jam were nice, but he didn't respect them musically. Right. They just had such different aesthetics and viewpoints on things. Um, So the fact that they got grouped together... I think Kurt Cobain didn't like getting grouped with anybody. No. Because he didn't like not. being part of right. a package or um, a type of music to be the face of something. Um, there you go. Never mind.
one of the greatest albums of all time, Bob. And it's like, it's funny. My dad was in town a few weeks back. And when Keith's in town, more classic rock gets played. Mm -hmm. And the Doors album, the first Doors album. You take a break from all your reading to hang out with your dad. Just I put down the the old peepers, put them (laughs) down, my cheaters. And uh, I put down, (laughs) I I leave the study, Bob, and I rock out. (laughs) That's so nice of you. And I rock out. Yeah, you do. Um, But uh, we were listening to the first Doors album, which is similar, not musically, but similar in the sense that even the songs that weren't hit, weren't hits, you know them. Right. Even the non-singles, if you're a rock fan, you know every song is like, holy shit, this is its own greatest hits record. Uh, Nevermind was that for a different generation of rock fans. Maybe the best album we've ever done on this podcast. It's up there. It's in the conversation. All right, Bob. It's time to pick a song for the Spotify playlist. Um, many choices. What do you think? There's really no wrong answer. Um, Before we pick it, though, once again, we should thank our Patreones for making this podcast happen. Patreon.com slash throwbackpod. How's that going? People still paying for the show? People are still doing it, man. They're the best. Thank you to Pettit and Mattis and Bruno, the sponsor. Our top tier sponsors keeping us alive and everybody else who's kicking in from $2 a month to a little more than that. We appreciate you all mm. more than Kurt Cobain ever appreciated his fans. Oh, Bob. That's not a shot. I'm just See, saying. Again, the we celebration continues It's for not Bob a Kestron. celebration. It's a fact that we appreciate them. He, he, We're not turning our back <laughs> on them. We're not going to put out another podcast that they're not going to like. Maybe. Unless, unless we do Robbie Williams again. <laughs> exactly. Or live. We or will live. Do live again. We will do that again. But all right. To pick out a song that goes on the Spotify playlist that we will tweet out from our Twitter at ThrowbackPod. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many ways we can go. Mm-hmm. But I think we both know what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to put on Drain You. Got to do it. Let's Gotta do, do it. it. And I'll play the, because I did not know this, and I'm thrilled to learn this, that in 2009, the Nirvana Estate actually released Nirvana Live at Reading, uh, and the second song performed was Drain You. So we'll play out with that version. And um, we'll put the album version on the Spotify playlist. Yeah, that feels right. Well, you know, let's play out with the live version. So there you go. There we go. Connect with us. Yes, Throwback Pod on Twitter, Throwback Pod on Instagram, the Throwback Pod at Gmail if you want to hit us up. And yes, patreon.com slash throwback pod. If you want to support the show, even a little helps a lot. Keeps us going. Gets Bob in the garage with me. Bob making the hike from his office to the garage and then back up to the mountains. That's what we do. That's what he does. But if we don't have money. Can't do it. Bob won't do it. Can't. And I'll burn this fucker down. You're going to do that. I'll get the gasoline out. We need money for gasoline. It's expensive. All right. We will be back uh, next week with more fun. Until then, thank you. Thank you very much. He got to fuck the ultimate bitch. There it is. <laughs>